The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. He battled the talking heads and cynics in Washington to save GM and Chrysler. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He battled the Great Recession to save Michigan's capital city from bankruptcy. To this big, bold country that we love, that's what I see. That's the America I know. Now he's on a mission to save the America that brought his father from Italy and millions of immigrants to build the greatest nation in the world. And I do believe that the office of citizen is the highest office in this country. Here he is, America, Verge Bernero. Well, welcome to the Verge Bernero Show. Uh, I brought out my official holiday vest, Tom, as you can see. I see that. Uh, every year, my wife hides it, buries it, either in the attic or <laughs> up in the closet or in my daughter's closet. But I managed to dig it out. It's back. <laughs> uh, so, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Feliz Navidad. Uh, bon Natal, as we say. And uh, now, now, what's the, how do we, what's the right word? I know that the, the happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Uh, is it happy impeachment or merry impeachment? Oh my goodness! Which, which do you think President Trump would? Excellent I know, question. I know he, seems he was to be pretty happy about the whole thing. Well, he he is. I, I know he was just at the rally in Battle Creek. Uh, we're going to hear from President Trump later, uh, and uh, hear some of his words from the rally where he was. Uh, but I I didn't. It wasn't clear to me whether he wanted the happy impeachment or merry impeachment. <laughs> what did they? Well, we'll we're going to hear from him, and we'll see what. Uh, Maybe he answered that question at the rally. We're going to hear from the president himself uh, from the rally uh, last night in Michigan here in Battle Creek. So we'll see. Uh, it is Battle Creek maybe was appropriate. It is a battle. There is a battle going on uh, like never before. And, you know, I make light of it a little bit. Uh, you look, better to laugh than to cry. Right, my friends? Uh, look, we have uh, an incredible thing here in this Democratic Republic, uh, an incredible thing going for, you know, well over 200 years. And uh, it's up to all of us to keep that. I've said before, the highest office is that of citizen in a democracy. And uh, so we are called upon. Look, it's the holiday season. We should enjoy the holidays. We should enjoy family. Um, uh, but we can't ignore uh, what's going on either. And I know, look, you're sick of it. I'm sick of it. Look, even pundits, politicians, uh, nobody wants this. Uh, Nancy Pelosi doesn't want this. Um, so, uh, and obviously, I don't believe Trump wants it, even though he says he's having a good time. But it's here. It's part of the democracy. So let's enjoy family, but let's do our duty as citizens in a democracy and know what's going on. That's what today's show is about. I'm very excited about today's show. I'm happy to welcome our new sponsor, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Uh, you're going to be hearing more about that uh, next year, certainly, uh, what they're up to. But very we're delighted exciting. to ha add them, to have them on uh, sponsoring the show. Um, and, uh, you know, impeachment is here. It's going to be a great show on that question. We're going to hear from MSU professor Brian Kalt, uh, author of, uh, of the book Constitutional Cliffhangers. This is a constitutional cliffhanger that's going on right now. In fact, we're going to hear from Nancy Pelosi in just a minute on, on tape. Uh, there is a constitutional cliffhanger, sort of, and we're going to hear from the author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, uh, Professor Brian Kalt, law, law professor from MSU. We're going to have a conversation with Jack Lessenberry, a veteran uh, journalist here in Michigan, on the politics of it. Uh, and and what does it mean uh, in terms of the people and politics side? We're going to do the law side with the law professor. But first, uh, if we can, from our friends in the studio, Angel, if we can hear from uh, Speaker Pelosi uh, just recently, just yesterday. Good evening. December 18th, a great day for the Constitution of the United States. A sad one for America that the president's reckless activities necessitated us, uh, our having to introduce articles of impeachment. What we are discussing today is the established fact that the president violated the Constitution. It is a matter of fact that the president is an ongoing threat to our national security and the integrity of our elections, the basis of our democracy. A great day for the Constitution, a sad day for the country. Um, you know, again, we have a constitutional system. We have a, a democratic republic. The Founding Fathers, uh, you know, uh, we came off of a monarchy. Uh, we stood up to the King of England. We broke away. 
there were a variety of things that could have happened, systems that could have been set up. Uh, there are parliamentary systems. Uh, Britain today is a parliamentary system where they have a vote of no confidence. So the prime minister, the, the civilian head of government, can be removed almost at any time. Uh, and you'll see that sometimes as Americans, we don't know what's going on. We hear about a vote of no confidence. We hear about governments being formed like in Italy. Uh, we hear about the government has collapsed. Uh, even Israel, I think, has a parliamentary system where the government can collapse. And, and for, for Americans uh, who don't spend a lot of time studying other systems of government, we can say, what, what does that mean? How does the government collapse? Well, because those systems of government, those parliamentary systems, uh, and I encourage folks to get educated about this if you're not, um, you know, learn something about these other democracies. But uh, they they can they can sort of call it quits right in the middle of things in between elections, but our the founding fathers they wanted they didn't want that they wanted the president to have more power and more permanency than a parliamentary system, but they also didn't want the president to be a king they didn't want him to be able to have monarchical powers authoritarian powers and therefore you have the impeachment the impeachment clause. So uh, it's not easy to remove our leader of government like it is in these other systems, but it's also not impossible. The, the founders specifically did not want a president who was above the law. And the language that you heard Speaker Pelosi use, Nancy Pelosi use, um, is that he violated the Constitution. One of those articles is that he just simply refused to, to participate in the impeachment. And you've heard the term that the president and sadly some Republican lawmakers, too, have used to say, well, it's unconstitutional. This unconstitutional impeachment. Um, there's no such how uncon, it's in the Constitution. It's you may not like it. You know, you can call it a kangaroo court, although I think you're insulting the founding fathers as well. Uh, the impeachment is pre prescribed in the Constitution. It's right there in black and white. So to say that it's unconstitutional to attempt to remove a president through impeachment is on its face patently ridiculous. It, it makes no sense. Like, basically, you're an idiot. <laughs> to, to use the term unconstitutional impeachment, unless it's followed by show me exactly how you're violating the Constitution using a constitutional principle. So, so these are facts. You know, I'm sorry. I know we're in the age of alternative facts when Kellyanne Conway ushered that in with President Trump. Um, but there are facts, immutable. And an immutable fact is that the, the Constitution provides for impeachment. Now, you don't have to like it. You could call it a dirty, stinking word, like the president calls it a dirty word or whatever. Uh, but it's provided for, and uh, and it's it's completely constitutional. It's completely legal. The process. President Trump is the third president in history uh, to be impeached. He has been impeached, um, and uh, that uh, that is there. But uh, where will we go with it uh, from that? Uh, you know what? You know how is how is Trump taking it? Um, I guess uh, if we have the clip ready, I'd like to hear from President Trump uh, at his Battle Creek rally yesterday while he was being impeached. Well, I think we have a vote coming in. So we got every single Republican voted for us. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. Wow. Almost 200. So, so we had 198. 229, 198, we didn't lose one Republican vote. And, and three Democrats voted for us, Haley. Haley! Wow. Thank you, Haley, great job. Wow. The Republican Party has never been so affronted, but they've never been so united as they are right now, ever, never. So, uh, I'm just texting uh, my friend saying it's better to laugh than cry um, because, uh, you know, I've been saying it's a sad time for our country, and I believe in some respects it is, and, you know, that I'm here, I'm making light saying happy impeachment. But again, it's the holiday season. I got my Christmas vest on, <laughs> and, and I think we deserve to be happy, okay? Uh, we don't necessarily have to be happy about impeachment, but again, better to laugh than cry. Tragedy and comedy has always been a thing. Right. I mean, part of how you survive tragedy is through comedy. And so, uh, you know, whether it was the Clinton impeachment or this impeachment, I'm sure there are those, you know, that got a few laughs off of it. And again, I think that you ought to inject some levity and maybe with some levity, we could actually get back to some courtesy and decency between Democrats and Republicans. I mean, that's the other thing. 
Uh, so I think it's okay to you know have a little fun, poke a little fun now and again, and you know President Trump does that uh, uh, quite a bit at other people's expense. But uh, you know you can see he's he's uh, he's talking about the uniting uh, how the Republicans have come together, and I think they are in lockstep, uh, and I think that's going to be a real uh, challenge for us to try to bridge the gap uh, and and come together, of course. Um, uh, so, can we hear? We have something else, a little more from President Trump and his rally. I love that. You know, usually there's one, two. The Republicans, look, I've said it for a long time. The Democrats are lousy politicians. They really are. They've got horrible policies, open borders, crime is fine, drugs pouring through. I mean, think of what they do. Sanctuary cities, they love sanctuary cities, you know. They're lousy politicians. But they have one thing, two things. They're vicious. They're the most vicious people. The Republicans aren't as vicious. They may learn to be vicious after going through this stuff. But the other thing, the Democrats always stick together. Now, think of it. Three Democrats went over to our side. No Republicans. It's unheard of. So, I mean, again, of course, I mean, when Trump's lips are moving, he's lying, basically. Uh, Democrats are not known for sticking together. Yeah, that's okay, true. Republicans <laughs> are in lockstep. Okay, they goose up like no other. Democrats, as Will Rogers said years ago, I'm a member of no organized political party. I'm a Democrat. Okay, we are a big tent. We have people from a variety of backgrounds, and we are rarely in lockstep. So he's hilarious as usual. Uh, but you can see he's starting his victory lap already, and we're going to talk about that. We have talked about that in previous show in episode seven. I talk about the victory lap and what I think he's going to do. Um, we have Professor Kalt on the line, and I want to start that discussion while we've got him. Uh, but Angel, I'd like you to have the. I forgot to tell you this. I want to move that clip from Lawrence Tribe. I wanted to play it during our cult, uh, Professor Cult uh, interview anyway, because I want Professor Cult and I to listen together to the Lawrence Tribe, and then I want Professor Cult to weigh in on what Professor Lawrence Tribe uh, from Harvard has to say about uh, about impeachment and the Senate. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the program once again Professor Brian Cult, law professor and author of the book Constitutional Cliffhangers uh, uh, from Michigan State University. Professor Cult, are you there? I am. Fantastic. Good afternoon, sir. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the program. You wrote the book Constitutional Cliffhanger, and it looks like cliffhangers, and it looks like we may have a constitutional cliffhanger right right before our eyes right now. Um, uh, so I talked to you a little bit about this, about Professor Tribe's uh, theory. I didn't know it was going to become so front and center, but here we are. The House has uh, impeached the president. Or have they? That's my first question to you. Um, uh, you know, legally, it appears to me, to a layperson, a non-lawyer, that the president has been impeached by the House, and now uh, those articles of impeachment. My understanding, for the first time uh, yet in in history, that those articles of impeachment have not been rushed over to the other chamber, to the Senate. So, is he officially impeached until the uh, until they go over to the Senate? Uh, is that's my first question. And then, how long does the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, how long? does she have? Can she sit on those articles? Uh, it appears that she's trying to leverage them to get some kind of a, a commitment from uh, from uh, Senate leader Mitch McConnell to run a quote-unquote fair process in the Senate. Well, uh, first of all, he has been impeached. Um, the, the question about sending the articles over, that doesn't go to whether he's impeached or not. That just goes to whether there's going to be a trial, what has to happen for there to be a trial. But he is impeached. And and <clears throat> it doesn't really make a difference. I mean, being impeached or, or not being impeached, um, if there's no trial, it doesn't matter. And, and so that's the first thing is uh, Pelosi doesn't really have that much leverage there. If, if, if the argument is that they don't like the way the trial would be, and the response to that is to not let them have any trial at all, I, I, I don't see how that uh, hurts Trump in any way. So, uh, I mean, apparently, they she's trying to get a fair trial, I guess, and um, uh, I guess for perhaps Lawrence Tribe and other Democrats believe they may be denying the president a victory lap, some element of a victory lap there. Uh, if if he doesn't get the exoneration, if you will, of the Senate, does the Senate? If the Senate has a trial, 
what is their verdict, Professor Colt? What does the verdict look like? Is is it like in a criminal trial, guilty or not guilty, or or is it is it uh, you know you're you're in? Do they say innocent? What, what terms do they use in terms of their their trial? It, it is guilty or not guilty, and uh, the the difference is that there's a two thirds requirement um, in a criminal trial. You'd need the jury to be unanimous. Mm-hmm. So uh, being acquitted, uh, it, maybe you just have one juror out of twelve. You're acquitted. They say you're not guilty. Here, you you, you would need um, you would need sixty seven guilty votes um, b- before he'd be guilty. So it's exoneration in one sense, but I think politically, if there's you know a majority against them, maybe that's not quite the same sort of exoneration. But I, I don't think that there's any uh, any chance that uh, unless something changes, something big. That the Republicans will uh, break apart on this, I think they're not even going to have a, a majority against him. So, if you have a minute or two, Professor Cald, I'd like to listen to Lawrence Tribe uh, uh, together, and then tell me what you think of his legal analysis. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Here he goes. This process, it's not completely up to McConnell, although he acts as though he is the ruler in chief of the Senate. So it is possible to put pressure on him to have a real trial, and I think there'd be a lot of public support for that. They will then threaten, oh, if you do that, we will call Hunter Biden, we will out the whistleblower. I think those are empty threats. I don't think the nation would stand for that kind of circus. So I do think the Democrats should press hard to make this a real trial. And remember, if it isn't, then I think what you said earlier making this president the O.J. Simpson of presidents would be his fate. That is, he would have not only a red asterisk next to his name, but he would become the first president who was impeached in his first term, who fundamentally was not really acquitted, but just given a pass in the Senate. And he would then go down in history in the ignominious way that his misconduct deserves. Yeah. So, uh, Professor Kalt, what about this issue of the the nature of the trial in the Senate? Is, is there any rules? Let's start with you know the law and the Constitution, you know, and, and precedent. Is there any rules or clear guidelines to McConnell uh, or the Senate leaders as far as what that trial should look like? Well, there's precedent, um, but it's not binding. Typically, what they'll try and do is uh, look at how they did it last time and uh, make some tweaks to that accordingly. But uh, there's, there's nothing binding in the Constitution. They can decide, the Senate can decide for itself what it wants the trial to look like, whether they'll call witnesses, which witnesses they call. This is all just a matter of majority rule in the Senate. And the majority here is 51 votes, not 67. Um, so the Chief Justice presides, but they can always... Uh, if there's a majority, they can always override him. So the chief justice says, oh, that evidence isn't admissible. Someone can object. They take a vote. They have 51 votes. Then that evidence gets admitted. So it, it, if, if McConnell can hold his party together, uh, then they can make the trial look like whatever they want. Uh, on the other hand, if there are four or five or more Republicans who say, uh, you know, actually, if we're going to do this, we should do it right. Let's let's have some witnesses. Let's actually have some debate. Let's not just dismiss it without having a trial at all. Um, if if there are just uh, a handful of Republicans saying that, then then that's what would happen. They could okay. join with the Democrats and make that happen. I appreciate it. I hear what you're saying. Now, uh, I, I want to get to, just, to, just to be very clear, again, for uh, non-lawyers, uh, like myself and and uh, certainly the majority of our listeners, um, what is it clear then that uh, the Speaker of the House does not the House does not have to send over any from here they could just stop now and say we've impeached him uh, we don't believe you know for whatever reasons we 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 don't think that he's going to get a fair trial we we don't think it's going to be fair to the American people we're going to stop here at impeachment we're going to continue our investigation is there any uh, is there any legal mechanism that McConnell has or the president to 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 pull that those articles forward for the Senate to act on them? Or if the if the House does not act, uh, is the impeachment essentially done in terms of its legal being acted on legally? I, I think it's the latter. If if they don't send it over, there's really nothing that the Senate can do to make them send it over. But I also 
referring back to the professor tribe in, in the clip there, I don't think that that would be uh, some great defeat for Trump if they, they don't have any trial at all and, um, and, and they can't have the vote saying that he's not guilty. Uh, if they don't send it over at all, legally they could refuse to send it over, but it would be a weird thing to do. Um, you know, we were we were asking all along, what's the point of impeaching him if you know that he's not going to get convicted in the Senate? And I think this takes that even further. What's the point of impeaching him if you're not even going to send it over to the Senate? Well, that would and lead it doesn't to, accomplish anything. That would lead to the political. Well, that that leaves it to the political maelstrom as to you know where that where that ends up. Uh, it would be very interesting, and that's a discussion for future shows to talk about what if. If uh, the impeachment is done and the Democrats argue, well, we don't think he, we couldn't get a commitment from from McConnell. To, I mean, I'm just surmising, you know, we couldn't get a commitment from McConnell to pull any witnesses here. Trump complained that he couldn't get the witnesses he wanted in the House, complained about the process in the House. And yet uh, there's no commitment to to any real trial in the Senate. And therefore, we're going to continue to hold hearings. We're going to continue to go to court to pull in Bolton. Uh, Bolton has said he'll only testify if ordered. So, uh, you know, I mean, just saying, who knows? They could they could uh, stop it. And then that uh, the Democrats maybe are weighing the politics of, of stopping versus the politics of exoneration. Right. The, but the politics of continued investigation and holding up the impeachment, they may say, well, we may send it later. I mean, I was going to ask you, is there any legal? Could, could they send it up in a month? Could they say we're going to do some more investigations, uh, see if we can't force Bolton, and so on and so forth, uh, and then we'll send it? You know, is there a statute of limitations on when they could send the impeachment forward? No, not really. Um, I, I think at a certain point, um, they they're, what they're supposed to do is appoint the House managers who are supposed to prosecute the case in the Senate, and they can take their time a little bit to do that. Um, another thing that they've done in the past is they can send over the articles. And they can also um, reserve their right to sort of amend them. And uh, if, they, if new evidence comes in, they want to send something else, it's uh, sent to the Senate and sort of added on. Now, that's interesting. Eight. Professor Colt, that's very interesting, because I've heard some Republicans, as the back and forth, I've heard them say, uh, you know, that the Democrats rushed it and that the Democrats maybe should have waited on some of these court Battles about about forcing people to testify, I, I so I hadn't heard that that uh, so they could the, these they could send the impeachment articles and you're saying uh, then continue the investigations and perhaps if they learn or uh, get new information they could then send up additional articles. Yeah, it would kind of like uh, be like in a regular trial where you might amend the complaint. As uh, they say, you have a criminal complaint or a civil complaint, and uh, things change, new facts come in, and you you amend it. Um, so there is there is some flexibility there. One, I really appreciate that, and there, I appreciate this time, Professor Call. There's one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and that was the um, this idea of the the separate oaths. I understand that under the law, they take the senators take a separate oath. They've obviously already all been sworn in and gotten the typical oath of. Uh, of office, swearing to the allegiance to the Constitution and so on, um, but they're going to take each of them before the trial begins. Uh, they'll, they'll take a separate oath of impartiality and such. Yes, um, the the Constitution specifies that uh, when when the Senate sits as an impeachment jury, um, they take that special oath that they have to be on oath or affirmation, as they uh, as the Constitution puts it. And so, yes, it is a separate oath. Um, they say that they'll do impartial justice. So I wanted to ask you about that because some of the Democrats have been pointing out that, uh, uh, and I, I don't have the exact uh, clip or quote. I'm sure we could dig them up. But I guess I've been told that McConnell uh, and or Lindsey Graham and maybe some other senators have outright said, almost even used the language of saying, I'm, I'm not impartial. You know, I'm not impartial. I'm, I'm pro-Trump. I think this is nonsense, blah, blah, blah. So uh, I take it that when they take that oath, then, I mean, their previous protestations or statements, I mean, once they take that oath, they're, they're going forward, they're, they're pledging that, that complete impartiality. And what they've said in the past doesn't matter. Well, um, they, they are taking that oath. Uh, there are people on uh, both sides who have sort of made clear what they think. Uh, there are some senators that called for the impeachment. Um, but the, the oath itself says, 
I will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws. So what what they're saying is not, this isn't like a jury trial where uh, if you can't be impartial, then they strike you from the jury. The, the Senate is the jury, and we, we know who the jury's going to be going in. Um, and what they would say is, uh, I'm doing what I think is right according to the Constitution and laws. And so I'm not violating this oath. I'm having an opinion, and I'm allowed to do that. Uh, that's what they'd say. I, I don't think it's very seemly for them to be using the, the word now and to say, well, I'm not impartial. And maybe they could find a better way to say that. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone thinks that any senators are coming into any impeachment trial without any sort of uh, bias or uh, preconceived. Biases. Right. Uh, well, I really appreciate your joining us once again. Again, this is Professor Brian Kalt, uh, professor of law at MSU and author of the book Constitutional Cliffhangers. Uh, and we may have something of a, wouldn't you say, uh, I, I don't want to steal the quote from your uh, title of your book there, but we're in sort of a cliffhanger, aren't we? Well, yes and no. I think, um, like I said before, there's not really much that hangs in the balance. If they if they don't send the trial over, then there's just no trial. Uh, most of the things in my book are things like, we have two people both claiming to be president, uh, or stuff like that. Well, we don't have that yet. <laughs> not yet. Not <laughs> if, yet. We, we may have you back if, if it gets worse. But thank you so much for uh, putting some clarity on these legal questions. We, we appreciate you very much. Professor Kalt from Michigan State. Great. That was great. Really appreciate that perspective. So it sounds like uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, can in fact uh, sit on that. This, if she uh, doesn't for, like the process, uh, she can sit on it. And and you know, talking about the impartiality piece, it was just absolutely astonishing to me to hear Mitch McConnell say that he was going to coordinate the proceedings with the White House. Coordinate the proceedings yeah, with right, the White House. Right. I, I, it was just absolutely stunning. I mean, in, in a criminal prosecution, would you coordinate the prosecution with it's, the defense? It's unbelievable. So, I, I say hats off and kudos to uh, Speaker Pelosi once again. Angel, can we play that one Pelosi quote, uh, Pelosi clip, where she's asked about next steps uh, related to the articles of impeachment. And you can see she's a little coy about what she's going to do. She's leaving herself some room. Yes, she's leaving herself some room. Uh, so let's hear from uh, Speaker Pelosi on what she's going to do with the articles of impeachment. We just talked about this with Professor Colt. And then we're going to take a break. And when we come back from that, uh, we'll have Jack Lessonberry, veteran uh, Michigan journalist. We cannot name managers until we see what the process is on the Senate side, and I would hope that that will be soon, as we did with our legislation, our Resolution 660, to describe what the process would be. Uh, so far, we haven't seen anything that looks fair to us, so hopefully it will be fairer, and when we see what that is, we'll send our message. So, so, you can see there what... In case you were thinking, well, what the hell is she saying? Uh, what, what she's saying is what she's not saying. Okay, this is the important thing. What she's not saying is, I am going to rush these articles of impeachment over to Mitch so he can get moving. That's what she's not saying. Okay, and it's for a reason because she doesn't like what she's heard. She is not convinced that it's going to be dealt with fairly. She's leaving herself some room. Uh, her and the House leaders are, you know, they, they do have the option. And uh, so I think she's exactly right. I think she has been absolutely masterful from the beginning on this. I, you know, I was for her uh, getting reelected as speaker. Uh, some people thought there was time. It was time to do something new. I, I never did. Uh, I think she's been grace under fire. I think she's she was masterful. She held out for as long as possible in terms of launching the impeachment. Um, and uh, now. Again, uh, being very cautious, very careful, and trying to ensure that justice is going to be done. She's imposed real discipline uh, over this whole process. And did you see the stern look that she shot over to uh, to uh, Democrats after the vote was tallied? And and there was, was a, a small smattering, smattering of applause. applause out there. But man, she shot one look over there, and it stopped instantly. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. We're very fortunate to have a stateswoman like her there. Uh, so we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have a discussion on the politics of it with veteran journalist uh, and uh, author uh, Jack Lessonberry.
I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Wait, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. And welcome back to the Verge Bernero Show. Uh, we are talking, of course, about impeachment, uh, even as we <coughs> celebrate the season with our special holiday vest. Uh, you know, I know you've probably got that special special holiday sweater. Buried uh, and, deep, deep in the drawer. I say pull it out, <laughs> wear it with pride, offend your family, offend your spouse, uh, and I hope it has bells and jingles. I mean, they've got some great stuff out there. I mean, look at how muted this is. How could anybody be against this beautiful vest made in America? Uh, it's just incredible what I have to what I have to confront. But uh, it is uh, that time of year, and so I want you to enjoy the holidays, enjoy your family. Um, and again, we're trying to figure out if it's happy impeachment or merry impeachment, uh, which which the president would prefer. I don't know if we got an answer to that. Uh, I guess we didn't at the uh, at the Battle Creek rally. On the phone, on the uh, VBS phone lines, are uh, is Jack Lessenberry, veteran Michigan journalist, uh, host of the YouTube podcast Politics and Prejudices, and we're going to be talking about politics and prejudices with Jack. Uh, are you there, Jack? Yes, I am. It's an honor to be on the Verge Bernero Fashion Show. <laughs> uh, and see, you're not coming in via Skype, so I don't know what your holiday, your, what your Christmas sweater looks like. Uh, I should mention you are also author of the book The People's Lawyer: The Life and Times of Frank Kelly, the nation's longest-serving Attorney General. Uh, one of my favorites, of course, the Eternal, also known as the Eternal General, Frank Kelly, the nation's longest-serving Attorney General. Uh, great to have you on the show, Jack. Thank uh, you. Ran into you a while back, and uh, you uh, were gracious enough to agree to come on. Uh, I would like to get your take on this. Uh, my first question is, Jack, uh, how did we get here? How did we get uh, to this point of polarization? to where we can't even seem to agree on the facts. We, we, we hear about this phone call, the president, with the president of Ukraine. Uh, he calls it a perfect phone call. Uh, the so-called transcript comes out. You know, he's, to us, to, it seems very clearly a quid pro quo. He's holding up aid. Uh, we, we, you know, unlike in the Clinton impeachment, where the facts were clear, uh, somewhat, pretty, pretty clear, uh, here, we can't even seem to agree on a set of facts. Well, I think the facts are clear. I mean, it's just to agree on whether the facts matter and whether, you know, we're going to proceed in a rational process. It's been building for a long time. It didn't start with Trump. Uh, some people trace it back to Roe versus Wade, which started to polarize the country. But certainly, I think uh, the, the main tipping point was when the Fairness Doctrine was repealed under the Reagan administration in 1987, and then you had uh, such rabid uh, uh, divisions over Bill Clinton. Those may have been more personal than political. And this has just continued and continued. And add to the fact that we have a president now who is unlike any other president we've ever had, who doesn't seem to have any respect for traditions or uh, the real majesty of the office, and uh, it created the perfect storm. So, uh, yeah, we had the author, one of the authors of the book, How Democracies Die, uh, Professor uh, Levitsky. On, and uh, I, I had been reading the book, and then he was gracious enough to come on the program. Uh, and uh, he talks about authoritarian regimes around the world, uh, you know, throughout history, and and even in recent history, uh, the kinds of things that they do. Of course, one of those things, uh, and I know this must really get to you as a journalist, longtime journalist, is the attack on the press. Every, virtually every authoritarian regime. 
uh, has to tear down the media, the press, the 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 the, the free press. And we've right. often quoted Thomas Jefferson here, you know, that were it for him to choose between a, a government without me, uh, the press or the press without the government, he wouldn't hesitate to choose the latter. That's how important our founding fathers felt. And of course, free press is enshrined in the in the Bill of Rights. Um, but the, the, this attack on the media from the beginning, uh, when when Trump began calling the media, you know, uh, fake news, and the enemy of the people, of course, uh, that was deeply disconcerting to me. Uh, even as a as a former politician who's had many a fight with journalists, I feel like I always, you know, respected the role that they play. While individuals of them maybe got my ire up. Uh, I always respected the, the the role they played in a democracy, and remembered that they represent the public. They speak for the public. They're there to get the. Um, but but uh, that's pretty unprecedented. I know Nixon had his fights with the media, but all well, presidents have had to some extent. Even Thomas Jefferson, once he was in office, uh, uh, there's some indication that you know he, he didn't always feel that it would be better to have a press without government. But we've had never had anybody like Trump. Uh, because we've never had a president who had no understanding of uh, the U.S. Constitution, or uh, and couldn't care le- could care less about the Constitution. This is this is the difference here. The other country, it's absolutely true what you said that there've been authoritarian regimes all over the world that have gone after the press, have no respect for the press. But they're not the United States of America. We have a Constitution. The Bill of Rights was adopted in 1791, so we have this very, very long tradition of the, this is the only country where the right of the press is enshrined in the Constitution itself. Britain and France would say they have a free press, Canada would say that, but their parliaments at any time can instantly pass a law limiting that freedom. You don't have that here. But you're absolutely right that we have a president now who uh, not only uh, who has no respect for the press whatsoever and, and doesn't even seem to know that he should. Uh, yes, and uh, but 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 in the book "How Democracies Die," Jack, the the problem is we sh- we can't be we can't afford to be too relaxed. Is sanguine the word? We can't afford to be right. too because uh, these constitutional norms, as you mentioned, President Trump, you know, prides himself on tearing down norms and traditions right. and precedents. And so, you know, the book points out that you know even countries that almost wholly adopted our constitution. Uh, with the wrong leader at the right time, uh, it's th- those things begin to be eroded, and they can become sort of a facade. Uh, these freedoms, uh, people matter. That's right. People in place matter, but also um, uh, Edward R. Murrow said of uh, uh, Joe McCarthy, the demagogue, he helped bring down. He said um, uh, that you know if he's guilty, we're all guilty too, and that we allowed this to happen on election night, 2016. A woman friend of mine, before the result was known, said that this country had failed by the fact that you even had somebody like Trump as a nominee of a major party. That never would have happened uh, uh, in the old days, and we've never had a president like this. And I, I don't, I think Sanguine, uh, I don't know how. I, the problem is anyone who understands what's going on must be sort of perpetually nervous. Yes, yes. Well, and of course, they would say the other side, and we are, and, and again, you early at the top of the, your, your interview, you brought up the fairness doctrine, and of course, most people don't know what we're talking about. Right. But uh, when you. So, the so, fairness doctrine was required broadcast media to give both sides of the short version, both sides of every issue. And that was repealed. President Reagan felt that, well, there's this explosion of media. We don't have. As, you know, in the old days, when I'm old, I have to say, I'm six, almost 68. We had three, you had three TV channels, if you had TV at all. And now Reagan felt, well, now we all have a million channels and we'll let a hundred flowers bloom. But in fact, it really hasn't worked out that way. And uh, people's uh, understanding of what the nature of a democracy is badly eroded. So the problem is that people are getting uh, the news sort of tailored to their beliefs. So they have notions. People have always had notions. We have our preconceived notions based on what we've seen, how we were raised, and so on. But now we can tailor our news and just sort of get more of the same. So instead of getting that, that, that wide variety that you were talking about, that Reagan was talking about, people are essentially getting their preconceived notions reconfirmed, reaffirmed on a regular basis. And then this presidency, with Kellyanne Conway saying it's the time for alternative facts, there are alternative facts. 
you know, there are facts, but there's alternative facts. So there are no, which means there are no real facts. There's no real truth, and that the media has given up. Uh, some media have given up in terms of a search for the truth. That they're basically out to propagandize. When I was in first grade, I tried to convince my teacher that two plus two was really five, and that was an alternative fact. But I think I got spanked, and that was the end of my uh, uh, infatuation with alternative facts. But there are no alternative facts. You're welcome to any opinion, but two plus two is always four. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we have a lot of work to do. So. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about the Trump rally. I don't know if you caught any of that, uh, where we were going to play a clip, but we just didn't have time. And it's so disgusting that, uh, I don't know, maybe we should, uh, uh, but uh, where the president denigrated uh, the memory of John Dingell and brought up a former congressman, longest-serving congressman in our history, uh, giant of a man, John Dingell, and, and brought out this private conversation that he had supposedly had with uh, with uh, Dingell's, uh, John's bride, and now Congressman uh, Dingell. Uh, well, I think everyone's seen, Virg, I think everyone has probably seen that by now. And what we're not remarking on enough is he also made fun of Debbie Dingell's looks. He said, he said, if you look at the whole thing, he said, you know, Dingle, Debbie Dingle, she's a real beauty. Oh, yeah. And then he launched yeah. into this. Uh, yeah. It, it, it almost appears as if it, he feeds off of these crowds and they feed off of him in almost what is a scary way. It reminds me of, of you know, uh, Munich in the 1930s. And it, 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 he sort and of builds himself and whips himself up into a frenzy. Th- this is the part that I find so inexcusable about him. And when people say to me, you know, Trump, there's nothing Trump could do uh, that w- that would make you s- to support him. And right. I say, you're right. And uh, although I, I, you know, I, I wasn't for impeaching him from day one, you know, I had to be brought on on that. I mean, any president to be impeached, that's a serious legal issue, so on. But, but uh, as far as me liking him or voting for him or saying anything good about him, no, uh, because I feel I know Trump the person. And when he attacked John McCain, you know, not only when he was alive, but when he was dead. And, and this is the thing I don't understand about the Trump supporters, you know, what gets me about my, including my own friends and family. Like, if this had been, if Barack Obama, I mean, look, Barack Obama did some things I disagreed with. And I fought with his administration, by the way. I told him. I mean, I was mayor at the time. And when we had disagreements, I mean, I took him to the White House uh, through, the, through the mayor's conference. I mean, I, I put it on Facebook. I disagreed with him on certain things on the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partner, the trade thing. I disagreed with him. I, I was very public about it. I don't see the Republicans, any, virtually any of them, holding this president accountable for one damn thing. And this is Paul, where Paul I get... Paul Kribler, the Nobel Prize winning economist, that says the Republican Party has become totally corrupt or fanatic or both. We, it, it, we've never had anything like this. It is a cult. It, 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 is, it is a cult of personality. I mean... You know, I was thinking, Verge, this morning that unless you're about 60... You don't really, you don't remember the Nixon impeachment was entirely different. The Clinton impeachment was to some extent perceived as a farce. It was a farce really oversexed, whatever they said. But although it was a model of decorum uh, and, and fairness comp- uh, compared to this, but the Nixon, in the Nixon impeachment, if you remember, if you look at clips, the, Republic, the people who voted, even the Democrats who voted articles of impeachment, were trembling. They had tears in their eyes. This was an unbelievably radical and massive step to have to impeach the president. And now it's become almost par for the course, which is also scary. He he has he has lowered the bar across the board. Right. He he as far as what the presidency is, you know, I mean, it's our worst fears. The night of the election, I stayed up. Uh, I look. <laughs> I watched his speech. I watched his acceptance. I was one of a few people still up, whatever it was, 2.33 in the morning. And I tried to have hope. And even though I was, you know, everything I knew about the guy was negative, virtually. And I didn't believe any, you know, I couldn't believe. But I wanted to, I heard his acceptance speech. And someday we should play that speech. Really, we should play, I don't know, we should see how long that is. That was among the best speeches he's ever given. It was statesmanlike. It had been written for him. Exactly. Exactly. He acted like he might behave as a president. Exactly. And of course, of course, being a patriotic American, I wanted to believe it, Jack. I wanted to say, you know, look, I'll give the guy a chance. In the same way I always gave George Bush a chance. I gave Reagan a chance. And you know what? And they didn't completely 
completely disappoint me. I mean, they at least were patriotic Americans. They believed in the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera. I had my disagreements. You I, had policy disagreements with them. Exactly. And, policy and, disagreements with them. And, 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 there was some, yeah, and, and sometimes they would do things like, you know, uh, Clinton famous, infamously did that, you know, sort of disgraced himself as a human being. But we have nothing like this. We grew up in a tradition when there's a famous story about some freshman Congress, Democratic Congress, that he gets up, attacks the Republicans on the floor in his maiden speech and calls them the enemy. And Sam Rayburn supposedly took him inside and said, they're not the enemy, they're the opposition. And, but but that's, that's all gone now. Yeah, this guy, he, he makes it okay. I mean, he is the bully-in-chief. And the message it's sending to our, to our children, but to everybody. Uh, and, of course, the Republicans, again, have adopted it wholesale. They have adopted it wholesale. They, they do not stand up to him. Again, you never hear. When he attacked McCain, the fact that I really believed each time. I remember he attacked the Pope. He attacked McCain. I mean, I guess the Pope is fair game now. But, but McCain, both alive and dead, was, right. was attacked viciously. And when I, I thought, that's it, I thought veterans certainly aren't going to stick with them now. I mean, certainly veterans are going to come to the defense of McCain. My God, a hero, a guy that right. suffered for this country. I mean, stu- and, 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 and Trump, a draft dodger, you know, here, uh, here denigrating the character of this man. How dare you? It's stunning. And yet, even then, Republicans were essentially silent. They would you say. Know, I think you should call up Fred Upton, who's now the dean of the Michigan congressional delegation. He voted not to impeach, and then last night he said he was offended. He sent out a tweet. He was offended at what what Trump did to uh, the Dingles, and he needed to apologize. And you ask, know, so why in the world did you not impeach this creature? I mean, how can you justify voting not to impeach this person who's violated all our norms of civilized? Political? Let me ask you, Jack. What are the odds that Trump apologizes? Um, the odds are slightly less than uh, you and I winning the Mega Ball lottery today if we don't buy a ticket. Oh, damn, I wanted that Mega Lottery, too. Uh, He's not going to apologize. He never apologized to, to anybody for anything. No. And But I think, I'm hoping, and I don't know how long it's going to take to undo this damage to our system, uh, if, it, if it, it, it even can be undone, but the, I think the silver lining, we have to remember, he won by a fluke. He won the election by the equivalent of a lucky pool shot. There's nothing I see that he's expanded his base at all, and he's lost some people that, you know, this comes to an end 11 months from now, because if it doesn't, I really fear for my country. If the, I agree with you 100%, Jack, but that's if it's a fair election. And and maybe you can come back and we'll talk about what's, what's going to happen, because my prediction I made on Episode 7 uh, is that he is going to, uh, he will get a victory lap, he will get vindicated in the Senate, and that he will then pardon the thugs that are in jail right now under the Mueller, uh, because of the Mueller indictments, he'll pardon everybody but uh, his former per, uh, personal attorney, Cohen, right. and he will do that for the purposes of sending a message to his minions, to his shock troops out there, that they can do, can and should and will do anything to see that he wins in 2020 because he's got their back and he will pardon them. If you think, if anybody thinks that he is not some tin, tin hat, two-bit thug, just like any other authoritarian, that he will do anything to stay in office, you're kidding yourself. And if you I think, think one thing that may save us is that they're not, the Republicans are not going to allow him to try to subvert the Constitution, to try to stay there more than two terms, because they all want to be president, too. Well, maybe, but I'm talking about him getting the second term. Well, I think that's, well, again, we just have to hope that, you know, people can pull together. It's within our power to prevent that. We've got to, yeah. And we'll just have to see how things go. But I'm still at the end of the day. Remember, Benjamin Franklin was was said that after there was a son on the back of George Washington's chair during the Constitutional Convention, he said, now at last I think it's a rising sun, not a setting sun. I hope that's still the case. And supposedly he was asked at the end of the long summer where they wrote the Constitution, what do we have? And he said, a democracy if you can keep it. No, he said a republic. A, a, a republic if you can keep it. And those of us that have enjoyed this democracy, all of us virtually, who right. have not paid the price, you know, who have not gone to war, uh, we have not necessarily paid, and now we're going to pay. Now we have to put up or shut up. We're going to have to, you know, really stand up and fight and protest and do whatever to save this great democratic republic that we've been able to enjoy. Amen.
Thank you so much, Jack. Jack Lessonberry, uh, author and veteran journalist in Michigan. We so much appreciate your podcast is Politics and Prejudices. I look forward to uh, hearing you on that and having you back on the Virg Bernero Show. It's an honor. Thank you, Mayor Bernero. I'll Thanks. talk to you soon. Thank Take you so care. much, Jack. Take Bye-bye. care. We, are we taking a break? Yeah, we're bumping up against a break. But, you know, I mean, Jack brought up something that I just thought was really interesting. He talked about uh, how long it would take uh, to repair the damage to the system that's taken place. You know, one of the th- if there is a silver lining, one of the great things about this country is, is that uh, its institutions, its government, uh, our system of government, uh, our system of politics is designed to tolerate even the worst leader. It's designed to tolerate that and then to uh, and then to recover. It really is. There have been there have been horrible presidents in American history, absolutely horrible presidents. Maybe not as horrible as this president, but there have been bad ones, and the nation always recovers. I pray to God, um, and I really do pray. I know Trump doubts that I pray. Uh, I guess he, <laughs> the man knows no shame. I mean, he doubts that Nancy pray. But uh, yeah, I pray to God you're right. Um, it's we've never had somebody quite like this. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what's kind of cool. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture. Actually, all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of the drop-in with Daryl Valley. I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We're here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Verge Bernero Show. Um, we uh, like to close with something kind of positive, which we call kind of cool. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the environment is a big issue, uh, very big. We talked about Greta last week uh, and how dare you um, and how she was Time Magazine's person of the year, a uh, young girl who's uh, standing up for the environment. And here's another, here's a gentleman who uh, did something that I think is pretty amazing, um, took a lot of guts um, for a cause. And everybody wants to be involved in a cause greater than us, and there are plenty of them, uh, democracy, uh, the environment. And here's Ben LeCompte. Let's, let's play this clip about Ben LeCompte, a long-distance swimmer, swam the Great Pacific Garbage Patch from Hawaii to California to draw attention to plastic pollution. Wow, uh, that is powerful. Ben LeCompte. We all owe a debt of gratitude to people like that, in my opinion. Um, Can you imagine having that as a dream? The guy says this was a dream he had to swim through uh, the garbage patch. Um, I got to admire that. Um, And you heard what he said. We have the power. We have the power. Again, as I have said, citizen is the highest office in this country and I guess in the globe as well. Because any person is, there's just one. But together, when we take action, uh, here's a guy who has, you know, dedicated his life to uh, improving the environment. And he can only do so much. But if we will answer the call uh, for Mother Earth, we can make a big difference. Uh, You look at what's happening around, and, 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 you know, let's not shoot the messenger. I mean, there are those that want to shoot the messenger. You look at Greta, this young girl, who was Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Uh, making an incredible difference, having her voice heard. Uh, But we've all got to step up. So I want to thank you for joining us uh, on the Verge Bonero Show, and we will see you next time. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next time on the Verge Bonero Show.